Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with Trey Williams of JRE Private Equity. We're going to learn about what in the world private equity is, what in the world you can do to get involved, and also his story as an entrepreneur of how he got here, what he's been up to as of late, and just all things relationship building and the sorts. But before we get to that, I want to give a big shout out to our wonderful, lovely sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. Fly Real Estate, Currency Bank, Government Taco, Horizon Financial Group, Mallard Bay Outdoors, and Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. And without further ado, man, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. Happy to be here. Absolutely. How are you, man? Happy doing, Tuesday. Doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Tuesday, uh, everything's wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, it's beautiful weather. It's we're getting into the hotter part of the year, but you know, it's South Louisiana, to so be expected. That's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. It's it's getting it's, it's blazing out there. So, what <clears throat> is JRE Private Equity, man? What do you do with it? Who are you, first and foremost? <laughs> what do you What do you do with it? Well, <laughs> the first question you said, "What is JRE Private Equity Group?" And yes. um, you know, I think that's that's a good question because I think a lot of people um, a lot of people know that. It, I've done real estate for 15 years and people look at me and, and they think real estate and, or they think restaurants. Cause I did a little bit of, a little bit of stuff in the restaurant industry for a little while, but for the most part, I've been in commercial real estate. Um, so I think a lot of times people look at, at JRE private equity and you say, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. He's in real estate. He's a, he's a broker or a real estate agent who's trying to sell my building or <laughs> something like that. And that's not what we do. Or they say private equity. Well, I mean, they're a shark trying to buy my business or something like that. It's not that either. Um, basically, we're a commercial real estate focused private equity group. And the term private equity just means that we go out and raise investment from the public, from, uh, you know, from private individuals. Um, and then we take that equity and invest it for them. In this case, we invest in commercial real estate. And obviously, you know, the purpose of the investment is to make them a return on their investment. So uh, that's what we do. Gotcha. So I want to take a few steps back about a year or two or a little bit more and kind of get your origin of how you kind of got involved in all this. I mean, nobody wakes up one day and say, I'm going to start a private equity group without having at least some history of a knowledge within the field in which they're going to do it. Because there are some private equity groups that do buy businesses, right? Right. They do buy different things. It's not just limited to commercial real estate. Correct. So how did you get involved in the real estate game? Uh, so real estate was something that I was always interested in from, um, I mean, really from college. Uh, I went to LSU uh, for MBA school. And while I was there, they did not have a concentration in real estate. Uh, but they had three or four classes that were <laughs> real estate <laughs> finance, <concentrated>. <laughs> real estate appraisal. And I mean, I, I literally asked them, if I take all of the real estate classes, will you put on my diploma that I have a concentration in real estate? You know, because you could get an MBA with a focus in accounting or, or economics or something like that. And they said, sure. So Wait, um, they like they spelled it out in your diploma on your diploma. Yeah. So it's like, just a, as a concentration, yeah. Or they they let they let me uh, use that as a concentration. So an MBA with a concentration in real estate. See, I don't. Something's up with the biz, the LSU Business School because my diploma says Bachelor's of Science. So I've got one in accounting and one in entrepreneurship, right? They both just say Bachelor's of Science. Doesn't say Bachelor of Science in accounting or Bachelor of Science in entrepreneurship. Well, maybe the MBA is different. I'm not sure. Maybe. So I don't know. Well, I'll have to talk to somebody over there. So, so I anyways. Came, yeah, I came out of that. And um, so uh, Wesley Moore, who is a local appraiser in town, uh, he, he was <clears throat> he came to speak to our class about appraisal. And I came up to him afterwards and I said, hey, I really like real estate. I'm interested in this and I want to get into real estate. and I want to be a developer, something like that. And he said, well, if you really want to get into real estate, you need to get into appraisal because if you can learn appraisal and you can learn how to value properties, then you can pretty much do whatever you want. So I actually went to work for uh, his firm, uh, uh, Cook Moore and Associates. So uh, Tom Cook and Wesley Moore uh, are the principals there. And I did appraisal for about a year and a half with them. Um, I actually ended up uh, marrying the daughter of Tom <laughs> Cook. <laughs> uh, she, she's my wife. Coincidence? Uh, hey, look, this, this happened uh, years and years and years after I had left his office. We maintained a, a great friendship. And uh, honestly, Tom was kind of like a mentor to me uh, and still is. And now he's my father-in-law. What better way to repay him, right? Well, exactly. So, um, so I, did, I did commercial uh, appraisal for about a year, year and a half. 
um, realized that that wasn't really for me. And uh, I told him that I wanted to get into brokerage. So I ended up going to Ladder and Bloom Commercial Real Estate. I spent, uh, well, the better part of 15 years at, at Ladder and Bloom, uh, even even through uh, my foray into the restaurant industry, uh, I maintained my license at Ladder and Bloom and actually always maintained an office there. Uh, so I continued to be a broker. Um, and, uh, you know, at one point, I, as I said, I got into the restaurant business. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Let's, let's, I know. Let's, let's back up a strange let's, transition let's back up a little bit. You're, you're, you're appraising at this point, right? Well, it was appraising, but then I got into brokerage. So okay. now, so now, now I'm selling. Broker. So yeah. now you're selling. So now I'm selling and leasing buildings. So now you decide, let me throw on an apron. Wow. S- sort of. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I, um, Ladder and Bloom's main headquarters is, is in New Orleans. Okay. And uh, right down the street from Ladder and Bloom's headquarters is Kushan Butcher. And I kind of got infatuated. It goes two and two. Um, well, real estate butchery. I, I, look, Kushan Butcher is a wonderful place. You go in there and you can buy you know all these meats. And it's kind of like an Italian uh, uh, or a French deli. I thought it was really cool. And um, I uh, decided the Baton Rouge needed something like that. And so I, mean, I was just kind of bouncing it around. And I was sitting at lunch with, a, with a, a, a guy in my office. And he said, you know what? I've got a friend who really wants to open a sandwich shop and you want to have this deli and he wants a sandwich shop and hey it sounds like it would be a great relationship so I ended up meeting uh you know, who was my partner at the time Chase Lyons and he and I opened uh City Pork Deli and Charcuterie um on and, Jefferson uh, no no that this was the one on Perkins oh by the overpass the one uh, yeah under the overpass yeah so we opened that up it grew to uh you know a couple of stores and it just, that's a tough business. Has anybody, has anybody that's been in it can tell you, I mean, that's just, um, you know, that's a really tough business. And, um, I had an opportunity to get out of the restaurant business. Um, uh, and so I sold out, uh, Steven, what my partner is still the managing partner over there. So he kind of maintained his role at those restaurants and I just kind of backed out. Um, and I'm kind of looking around thinking, well, what am I going to do now? Do I want to go back and be a broker? Not really. So, so did you maintain brokerage while, like, selling properties while you were running City Port? I say I did, but I, I, if I ask you how many properties <laughs> you sold, while I you mean, were look, doing I had a few, but I, I really didn't. Um, and and that's what that's that's part of the reason that I got in that I went in the direction that I did because I didn't really want to go back and be a broker. I had always had an interest in um, in on the investment side, and. Um, I ended up, I was sitting in, in Carl Landrino's office, who's the manager at Ladder and Bloom. <sighs> Carl, I, I, I know I don't want to be in the restaurant business, and I don't think I want to be a broker, but all I know is real estate. That's, that's where I feel comfortable. And you know I'm, how to run a deli. Well. <laughs> you grew to a couple of locations. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty successful. Yeah, but I know, look, I never felt comfortable in the restaurant industry, and that's just, it just, it just is what it is. You know, yeah. I never, it was never in my comfort zone. Real estate is in my comfort zone. I know it. I understand it. I, I think I can explain it. I think I can articulate it. And um, so I'm telling Carl, what am I going to do? Because um, I don't, I don't want to go back into brokerage. And he says, you know, you need to talk to Donnie Jaro. And Donnie was somebody that I had known, you know, throughout my entire career. We'd known each other kind of on the periphery. Uh, and Donnie did a whole lot of developments back uh back in the you know, early 2000s, and really kind of made a name for himself. Started buying properties. He would put together these little small investment groups, and they would go buy um, you know, big pieces of real estate. There's several pieces of real estate around town that, you know, that, that Donnie purchased uh, with investors prior to him and I coming together. So Donnie had, had really kind of, his focus had shifted a little bit because he's always been in the, in the fitness business as well. So, I mean, go figure. I'm in restaurants, and he was in fitness, so whatever. He was you're, focusing. You're getting everybody all the way through. I, yeah, all the way I don't through. Know. Come, come eat, go work out. Exactly. Go home. So, he was really uh, focusing his time and attentions on um, uh, regimen fitness, uh, which is a fitness concept that he's currently growing and you know doing very well with it. He didn't really have time to, to manage the real estate side. He didn't have time to train anyone up to – you know, to teach them how to do it. It was something that I was already comfortable with. He and I came together. He was like, man, look, there's a huge opportunity here. I just don't have the time for it. And I said, well, that that's great. Cause 
I have the time for it. Uh, <laughs> I have the time, the know-how. And yeah, well, I mean, I had the time, and I, I didn't really need to be trained because it was something I already knew and understood and something I was already comfortable with. So I was kind of able to take the mantle that he had, uh, you know, started, and, and we said, look, let's take this and let's really elevate this to the next level. Let's turn it into uh, uh, t- turn it into something that is a um, – he likes when I use this term, but a legit business, <laughs> not insinuating that it was illegitimate, but there wasn't a name. There wasn't JRE private equity. There wasn't, there weren't offering memorandums. There weren't private placements. There weren't, you know, like he, he would just go to lunch with some buddies and say, Hey, I got some yeah, properties. Well, I mean, it, it was, it was a friends and family type thing. Yeah. And, and so what we saw was an opportunity of, there are really some good properties around here. And, um, and, and look, we didn't invent the wheel here. I mean, we're doing what other groups are doing around the country. There just aren't very many people doing them, doing it here. That's what I was about to say. How many private equity groups doing what y'all are doing are here in Baton Rouge? I mean, doing what well, we're... And I guess Louisiana, because y'all are with yeah. y'all are around the state. I mean, like, there, there are a few that are that are doing a, a form of this and um, that are focusing on commercial real estate like we are. But, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think anyone is really doing it the way that we are and really trying to like trying to grow the business and trying to expand our investor database. And, and to, um, you know, I think most of it is, is people just kind of doing one-off deals, which is fine. That's kind of what Donnie was doing for a long time. Um, but we just said, look, let's have a brand. Let's have, you know, a website. Let's have, uh, (laughs) you know, some consistency in what we do. Um, and I mean, really from, from our first meeting, I mean, I realized that, he had uh, some gaps, and and I had some gaps, and honestly, the two of us really really fit each other. Uh, we really fit together uh, pretty well. Uh, he is kind of more of a, a big picture type guy. Um, his uh, his underwriting was was usually a yellow pad and a ten b two calculator. I'm kind of I'm kind of an Excel it junkie. W- it works. <laughs> oh man. no, it definitely it works. worked. It worked. I get I really enjoy putting together you know these elaborate Excel spreadsheets, and we've got a a young guy, Jacob McCain, that works with us right now. I mean, he's a, you know, a wizard with that. And like, we've really been able to put together. I mean, I, I think uh, our offering memorandums are really like a step above what, what you see in the general marketplace. So going from being a commercial broker and doing something like this, what was kind of like the mindset shift you had to undertake? Because it's it's different at this point. You're buying and selling properties to individuals or groups. Yeah. But now you're you're buying and you're buying. Yeah. You're not you're not selling. You're yeah. buying. Well, I mean, we I definitely look at properties differently now, and and I remember sellers um, that I would work with in the past. Some things that I would get frustrated with them on as a broker, I now understand. You know, because because <laughs> I'm on that other side now. Uh-huh. Um, so the mindset shift was, I mean, the, the bigger mindset shift for me is with family, friends, and associates who, again, they just think, oh, try, us a real, real estate broker, got it. it. But it's taking a step back and saying, no, that, that isn't what I do. I'm not a broker. You know, I, I'm not a broker. This is what we're doing. And explaining to them, you know, what what it is that we actually do now. So the mindset shift, the mind mindset shift for me nailed it um well like we really have to look long term um yeah when you're a broker you're just looking to get to the sale and you, you want that commission check. yeah i mean look you want you, you know and you, 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 you have help, your you investors help, yeah. best interest at heart it's not like right. you're trying to take advantage of your investors but as the broker your goal is to close the deal um that's the beginning for us. That's the first step for us because not only do we have to close the deal but we've made these assumptions and we've got to be able to deliver on those assumptions. So we've got to be conservative. Like, you know, we've got to make very realistic assumptions about how the property is going to perform or, you know, we end up with angry investors. <laughs> I imagine some people that are not too happy to see their their uh, their checks get cashed and then their value go down. Well, they, exactly. So, so, so I think we take a conservative approach. And do y'all actually manage the properties in which y'all purchase? We do, yeah. Okay. So we have a, so Donnie had a management company. So he, he partnered, he and I partnered together and created JRE Private Equity, 
there's a, another gentleman, Josh Campbell, that uh, Donnie partnered with on his property management side. And so, so Josh is, is uh, both a partner and a manager of all of our properties. Gotcha. And so when going down that, that conversation topic of managing properties, when people think of investing in real estate, their initial thought is I buy the property and then put renters in it and it makes money. But yeah, that's all there is to it. That's right. That's it. That's all there <laughs> is, you know, but it's not, they don't have, or I guess maybe it's not talked about what actually is involved in that managing of properties. While commercial is easier than your single home residential because you're dealing with tenant issues and stuff of that nature, there's still a stuff that comes up with commercial properties. So what all goes into the actual management of these properties that y'all are acquiring? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole lot that goes into it. I mean, it's again, it's not dissimilar from a, a residential single family house. I mean, if if your toilet clogs, somebody's going to call you. Um, and that depends on the type of property. It depends on the type of lease. Um, but uh, you know, in some cases, you know, roof roof starts leaking, they're calling you. Uh, you know, you own the building. Well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> And, so, and again, it all depends on how the leases are structured because some of them are, you know, an absolute net lease. Usually that's like a single tenant. They'll have what they call an absolute net, you know, which just means that the tenant pays for everything, no matter what. But most of the, um, most of the leases that we deal with are, you know, some type of, of triple net, which I, I what, what is it, what is know what that net? means, but triple net means that your rent that you get. So if you've got, uh, if you've got a lease for somebody that pays a thousand dollars a month, um, a triple net lease means that it is net of insurance costs, net of property taxes, and net of common area maintenance. So those are the three nets that we typically talk about when we're talking about real estate. So when you say it's $1,000 triple net, that means you pay me $1,000 and you cover those three things. See, if you have a gross lease, then it w w which means you pay me $1,000 and I cover those things. So leases in, in our business are all very, very, very different. Yeah. Uh, we always try to get a triple net lease, but I mean, sometimes you have a tenant who, uh, you know, sometimes you have a national tenant who just says, no, we're not going to do it. And you can either tell them to take a hike or uh, you can say, <laughs> or, or yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> Cause I mean, it depends on, it depends on who needs, it depends on if they need the space more than you need the tenant. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's what gives you the leverage in negotiating these leases and, and knowing that, is a big part of, I mean, it's a big part of what we do is, is knowing that and, and knowing how far you can push some of these tenants to get, you know, better rent terms. Right. And you're, I mean, y'all are dealing with commercial real estate. So y'all are dealing with businesses for the most part, right? right. Not, not necessarily with individuals who may, you know, have a certain limitation and every business has a limitation, but you're still able to have a discussion and work out with them what makes business sense to be covered within their lease. Right. And also taking that into account with your Excel sheets, with your projections, with your underwriting, you have to know what type of lease you're planning to get. And so are you able to, within this real estate space, are you able to talk to the current owners and say what type of lease do you have? Yeah. Kind of help so, within that? Yeah. So whenever we put a property under contract, I mean, or, or typically whenever you start looking at a property, somebody usually, usually a broker has put together a package, you know, and, and depending on, who the broker is or, uh, you know, it may be, it may have every single thing that you need and it may be worthless. Um, unfortunately, you're telling me that the packages uh, over are overzealous with how the property performs sometimes. And so, and we kind of know on the national scene, like we know which brokers, you know, are going to put together a reasonable offer and which ones we need to go dig into the leases on. So uh, usually they'll, they'll put together a package and if you have some interest, uh, you know, we'll submit an, an LOI or a letter of intent, which basically just says, hey, we haven't looked up under the hood yet, but based on what we see, we think we'd pay $10 million, whatever. Uh, and then they say, okay, well, pending looking under the hood, we'll accept that. And then usually after you get an LOI agreed to, usually they'll send you some, you get some more information, you know, so they'll send you the leases and then you can review the leases and make sure that they corroborate with what the package says. Um, and then it, it's just kind of a, I mean, that's where the underwriting process begins for us. And I mean, and it's, it's intensive. Like when you've got a, a shopping center with, you know, 15 tenants, that's 15 leases that you need to read through, you know, and that's, leases are not <clears throat> short and leases are not short. 
Um, if they're short, they're probably bad. So uh, <laughs> on all accounts. So so I mean, we want you know uh, you don't want a three hundred page lease, but right. we want a lease. You know, you want the right stuff in there. As long as the right stuff is in there, you'll be okay. But uh, you know, just for instance, I mean, you know, insurance right now. That's something that people usually don't think about because insurance is usually fairly steady. It's not right now. And I don't know how many people know this, but I mean, the, the, the real, the, the commercial real estate, the commercial insurance world right now is, is in chaos in Louisiana. What's happening? Well, we've had two hurricanes in the last two years. This is true. And, um, so we had a lot of carriers that pulled out of Louisiana. So like, we're now looking at some of our properties that, you know, maybe we don't have full reimbursement of insurance from our tenants. And, and, you know, so we're looking very carefully at those properties and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, if, if what's going to happen with those. Um, and, and there's a couple of instances right now where we're trying to renegotiate some leases with some tenants to get them to take on the insurance. Um, but I mean, I can tell you this, having a good reputation or having a good relationship with your tenant goes a very long way. Oh my gosh. Um, so we're, we have, um, you know, we're blessed to have multiple shopping centers with a lot of the same tenants in there. So when you've got, um, you know, six or seven, you know, TJ Maxx's, whatever, um, you, you're probably on their radar to some extent. And, and obviously they're on yours and you have some kind of contact to where if you need to get something done, you can get something done. If you only have one, you know, that, the, the odds are that you're not really on their radar. So yeah. Who's, who's the bigger fish in the situation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are, are you as a landlord, the biggest person they have to deal with, or are you just another minnow in their pond when it comes to these commercial, these large shopping ch- centers that have national chains in there? Right. And when you, and when you've got similar shop, when you have multiple shopping centers that are very similar, you know, you develop some relationships with these tenants to where you know who to call if yeah. you have an issue. So, are we able to talk about some of the properties that y'all have under y'all's portfolio yeah, right now? Absolutely. So what, what are some examples of properties and portfolios that y'all have already closed on that people can kind of see what is involved with JRE? Yeah. So, um, so we, we kind of have, uh, uh, as I've said before, Donnie and I got together about two and a half years ago and, and started JRE, you know, started the private equity group. Um, now, prior to that, you know, Donnie had an extensive uh, history in real estate uh, acquisition. So he had, uh, you know, Southtown Shopping Center. Um, that's a property that, that we own and manage. Um, and, you know, there's a, a, few others, a few others around town that are in the portfolio that, that were already part of the group when I came along. Um, so when I came along, we've, it was about two years ago, we've closed on, I believe, eight properties. Um, eight properties so far and about 70, maybe $75 million of total volume uh, that we've run through. Um, We've got everything from a a two, a a two property industrial portfolio in, um, in Broussard uh, with two fantastic tenants. I mean, that was one of our first deals that ended up being a great one for our investors. Uh, We've got a, a, a single tenant retailer in Jackson, Mississippi. We've got one in, um, uh, let's see, in um, Memphis. Um, we've got a property in Pensacola. We've got properties in Lake Charles. Um, but uh, just recently, so, I mean, our last acquisition was a big center in Homa. So one thing that you're looking for, or one thing that we're looking for is, you know, you want to have an anchor. You want to have a reason for people to go to the center to shop at all of these smaller spaces, but they need to have a reason to come to the area, you know, and that's why a lot of times you'll see, you'll see a lot of smaller retailers huddled around a grocer or huddled around Walmart or something like that, because Walmart's the big draw. And then you've got these, these, uh, maybe you'll have some junior anchors, which would be like some smaller, large spaces, but then you'll have a bunch of one to you know four or five thousand square foot spaces yeah you're gonna have some spaces where the tenants c- could rotate yeah and, but the, but the driver is the anchor yep. you know and typically that's a grocer so um one thing that we've really looked for is um is what's the anchor what's the draw to the area and the property that we had in homa the draw is target 
So our property is adjacent to a target, but we don't own the target. So we call that a shadow center because it's a center that sits in the shadow of target. If it were a target anchored center, it would come with the target. Right. But shadow just means that it's a, it's, it's in the shadows of the anchor. So, um, we closed on that property in April. We had, uh, there's a, a, a Michael's Ross dress for less Ulta, uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- there's a, a, you know, Sally's Beauty Supply. I mean, it, it's it's the same characters that you usually see that follow around Target. Um, and again, these are all people that we have. We have them multiple places in our portfolio. So we have relationships with all of them. Um, but that closed in April. Um, we're already making distributions on that. I mean, that's kind of part of what we do. We, we're looking for properties that are stabilized and cash flowing today. So, you know, there's, there are two, well, there are several different types of, of classifications of properties that people typically go for. Um, usually you've got people that go for stabilized like us. We don't have to add value. All we have to do is maintain what's going on in order for you to get the returns that we've projected. So when you move into the value add space, which is where most of the people that do what we do, they hang out in the value add space. So they're looking for a property and they're saying, here are the returns, but we have to do this first. So there's a lot of vacancy. We have to lease it up. But if we lease it up, here's, here are the returns. Um, typically their returns are higher than ours. Uh, they're higher because you get a higher return for taking more risk. You also have a higher likelihood of losing your money. Um, so we look for stabilized properties, you know, so our cash flows are, are eight to 10%. That's kind of what we try to shoot for. So in that particular situation, are the properties already for sale or are you seeking out certain areas and requesting they be sold? So that's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, we have been very lucky in that the last three properties that we have acquired have been off market deals. Um, so uh, the first one was actually uh, well, Drusilla Village. It was it was it was within our portfolio. We had a, a small group of investors that owned that property, and they said, uh, "Look, I mean, the the time's right." Like, uh, I mean, like, pro- why would somebody sell a stable property like what y'all are going to acquire? It, because of, I mean, any number of reasons. Um, I mean, it, it can be, uh, you know. Uh, somebody's getting a little older and they just want to kind of get out. You know, they want to cash out and, and enjoy their money. Or you might have somebody that says, um, you know, look, the, the timing's right. We've been in this for, for seven years. This is, this was a, we were planning on holding it for five to seven years. Prices are high. Interest rates are low. The timing's right. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of the case of what we had here. They were ready to get out. We love the property. We still love the property. Um, so we put together 35, investors and we recapitalized Drusilla Village. We got a new loan, we got a CMBS loan which allows you to have higher cash flows because they give you a longer amortization. Um but uh I mean that that's been a great deal. Uh, we had a, a little bit of a vacancy in there. I think we're about to get it filled. Um that's going to be really good for everybody. Oh yeah. Um so you got a, a property cash yeah. flow with vacancies. Well, exactly. And so so that was a you know that was the first one. That was off market. The second one is a property that um, we've got this group out, uh, out of uh, this guy and um, <clears throat> they're, they're out of New York and uh, I, I don't know exactly how they do it, but they are just <laughs> cold calling machines. Uh, they just, just call everybody. No, well, I mean, they look, we've bought three properties with them and uh, with this guy and um, he, he finds out what you want, what the buyers want. And then he goes and finds it and he'll just call the owner and say, Hey, if I can get you, $15 million, would you sell? You know, and then they'll say, no, okay, well, hang up, call somebody else. Hey, if I can get you $12 million for your property, would you sell? And they just keep going until somebody says yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's, I don't know how long it takes for them to get a property, but we've bought, we've bought three properties through, through this same guy. So he's fantastic. He brought this to us. Um, and then finally the third one, the one in Homa, um, long story, but it was, it was an off market deal. So, yeah, and I think that's from a private equity standpoint, that's what the investors are looking for, right? Yeah. Those deals that 
you find the people at the right time. Like exactly. you said, they're 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 older. They're maybe they're managing it themselves, and it's one of their last properties in their portfolio. And they're like, "We're done. This last tenant just left, and we don't want to fill it. You know, we'll give you a discount because we don't want to fill it, et cetera, whatever it may be." But finding those off market deals from a private equity standpoint is like what really I'm sure excites investors is because it's something you're able to get your hands on they couldn't alone. Yeah, and it's also less risk for them because they don't have to put up the whole bill. They just had to put up their percentage. And so, I mean, to that point, like that, I mean, if we have a goal or a vision, I mean, that's what it is. It's to give people the opportunity to invest in something that they would never have the opportunity to invest in. I mean, even that's a, that's a big chunk of money for each one of those properties. It's not a big chunk of money when you divide it up 35 ways. Yeah. Um, and so what we're doing is we're, we're unlocking this opportunity for investors that they would normally have never gotten the opportunity to have to hold direct ownership in commercial real estate. So I mean and that's that's a key that word direct is that's a very important word when you're talking about diversification because people think, "Oh yeah, I've got real estate in my portfolio. I own XYZ REIT." Well, so REITs What's a REIT? A REIT is a real estate investment trust. Okay. And they're not all the same, so I don't mean to paint with the with the broad brushstroke, but I'm going to paint with the broad brushstroke. Um, typically, your REITs, especially your your publicly traded REITs, their value is based on it is just as correlate, maybe not just, but it is correlated with the stock market. Direct ownership in real estate is not necessarily correlated with the stock market because that the ticker price for that REIT somebody's determining that value and it's not based on the value of the property. So they still own properties. So when you do that, so they take, they'll take, uh, you know, a, a much larger pool of investors uh, of, of investment, say a hundred million dollars, you know, to, that would actually probably be a small one. So a couple of hundred million dollars and, uh, and they'll, they'll put together, um, or they'll they'll sell off shares at you know whatever a share is, and they're publicly traded, so you could buy a share tomorrow if you wanted to go buy it. Right. Um, <clears throat> so they'll put together a large pool of money, and it's basically a like a trust me thing. Um, <laughs> and look, these people have a high level of trust. I, I don't mean to say that disparagingly. People have a very high level of trust in these individuals, um, and people will gladly give them money blindly for them to go invest. Um, they have a little bit of a competitive advantage because now they're sitting on a whole bunch of cash so they can go pay cash for these properties. And if you're a seller and you've got this group over here, which has to get a loan, has to raise the equity and has to do this, that, and the other, and they'll pay you, you know, X, but this guy, Hey, they'll, maybe you'll sell to them for a 5% discount because they're paying cash and they'll close in 15 days. I mean, that gives them a competitive advantage. It does. So um, that's what, so that's the REIT world. But the point of what I'm saying is, is that people think that they have diversification. What I'm saying is, I mean, talk to your financial advisor, but I would say you don't really have diversification unless you have actual direct ownership in real estate, which is not correlated to the stock market. Yeah. We, we are not providing financial advice yeah. or, nor, nor uh, direction yeah. as to where to invest your money to go talk to uh, horizon financial group, one of our sponsors, and they'll exactly. be able to take, they'll be able to take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> so from the private equity standpoint, there is a difference between the REIT and what y'all are doing. And that has certain prerequisites to get involved. Yes. What are those prerequisites to be involved with JRE? So the only prerequisite we have is you do have to be an accredited investor. Which is what? Which is defined by the SEC. So basically, uh, to go into a little bit more detail than maybe you're asking for, uh, we're putting together securities um, in the same way that, you know, an IPO is a security. You're putting together security. Uh, I believe they define it as any any instance in which someone gives money to someone else with the expecta- expectation of a return based on their efforts. In any circumstance, technically, that is a security. And if you're a security, you fall under the jurisdiction of the SEC and you've got to do audited financial reporting. You've got to do all of this crazy stuff. Um, they have, they have uh, part of the SEC code has, has uh, it's uh, section 506. I'm talking a little bit out of my pay grade here. <laughs> <laughs> but section 506 gives exemptions 
Um, and one of the exemptions is that uh, if you under 506C, which is which is what we use, um, if all of your investors are accredited and you have to qualify that they are accredited, then you're exempt from the SEC's uh, oversight. So that means that a person has a net worth of a million dollars that excludes the value of their home, or they have a in income on their tax returns of $200,000 filing singly or 300 filing jointly for the last two years and the expectation that that is to continue. Uh, again, that's not my legal opinion. That's the way I understand it. <laughs> so uh, That's what it's been read. So that's the definition of an accredited investor. And so anybody that meets that criteria, um, you know, is, is, is welcome to invest in one of our projects. So, Finding investors, I know it can be a challenge for any entrepreneur, any startup. They're trying to get investors to fund their project. How are you able to go about and find these investors to invest in real estate? Yeah, so um, it's it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to it's difficult because it's kind of a cat and mouse game uh, for us because you don't know how much money you. So we have a group of investors. You don't really know how much money you can raise from that group of investors on a specific deal um, until you try. But in order to try, you can't do a test run. Like you're pregnant. By the time you get to the point where you're asking people for like you're you're pregnant on the deal, you know. So there's this there's this kind of. I mean, That's it's a perfect it's visualization. True. The baby's coming. Yeah, I mean, you like it's find, coming. You and, gotta find somebody to take care of. Yeah. it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, so so we we're constantly kind of kind of playing this 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 game of well, I mean, do we go for bigger properties where you know we need to raise larger amounts, or you know, do we stick with what we're doing now? And I mean, it's difficult. So we're constantly working. I mean. Like I, I wear two hats. I mean, I, I wear the fundraising hat, and 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 I wear you know the underwriting, put putting the the investments together, um, and you know part of the issue with me is exactly what I told you before. I think I've said it twice since we've been on here. It's the mindset that oh yeah, I know what Trey does. He's a broker. He's in real estate. Like my own friends and so my own friends and family don't really you know understand what it is that I do because it just takes an explanation. So how do we change that? Well, I'm working on it. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've got it. So we've kind of turned a corner at this point. All right. So when we first started, um, we partnered with Donnie, Donnie kind of had the name, kind of had the, you know, the reputation. We had some investors already that had already invested with him. So we kind of started from. He had, he had a pool that he there, built there was up. a pool that yeah. was already, you know, they were already investors. And um, so we kind of started ahead of the starting line. And we're at a point now where, um, you know, a lot of times people ask, we'll say, what have you done? Show, show us your portfolio. And we had these properties that had been done over the last 20 years. And they said, no, no, no. I mean, what has you done? What has JRE done? I don't want to know what Donnie did or what you did. I mean, what have y'all done together? What has your company done? Yeah. What has Trey done? Well, uh, well, it's not necessarily Trey, but just what has the company done as, as JRE private equity? And the truth of the matter is, like, we started with nothing collectively as a company. We each had our own you know, group of uh, friends and family and investors. And we, we each came to this separately, but together we didn't really have a track record yet. And we're now at a point where we have that. So I was always hesitant with doing, you know, with marketing because we didn't really have a lot to show at that point. Well, we've now closed about $70 million in, in, in three years. I mean, we've raised two, two years. Um, We've raised a good amount of money all from local investors so we're not going and getting big plugs from California. I mean, these are all from local investors. So, they're, I mean, we've they're got... They're all within, like, Louisiana and all that? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. Um, or have some tie or relationship to Louisiana. So, like, we're at a point now where we're kind of changing the way that, that, that we're looking at the company. So, I mean, we're starting to, um, you know, JRE Private Equity, we've sort of have, have placed it in, in as a component or as a you know a, a cog in the, in the wheel of the machine of of jar real estate or jre or whatever 
Um, but I mean, we're really we're we're about to start a, a big marketing campaign that hopefully will sort of get some of that exposure that we're looking for. Yeah, and because it's it's tough to get that first deal. I mean, walk us through how y'all overcame getting that first deal closed. Because I'm sure the investors have the same questions. What's your track record? Yeah. What is your history as a company? Why should we trust in you? And for those people that are listening that may be interested in doing something, maybe not of this sort, but closing that first deal is a tricky situation to overcome. How did y'all do it? Well, I mean, it certainly helped having having independent track records uh, and having, um, you know, hopefully independent uh, reputations, you know, good reputation with people. Um, you know, the first, so the first deal that we did, um, it was actually, it was on the market, but, um, it, it popped up on, on LACDB, which is, that's the commercial version of MLS. Um, we actually happened to be, uh, Josh and I were driving to Texas to look at a, at an, another property. And I was on the basin at like six o'clock in the morning. I looked down, this property popped up. I said, Hey, this is interesting. We should pull off in Broussard and go look at this. And I mean, sure enough, we pulled off on Broussard and I mean, it was six o'clock in the morning. So I waited until eight o'clock before I called the broker, <laughs> uh, but I called <laughs> want to see it now. I have my laptop. I mean, like, I think we put together a purchase agreement in the car and, and sent it over, or put together an LOI and sent yeah. it over to him. Um, that was a, that was a tough deal. Like we, we, sh- that was tough to put together. It wasn't tough to, um, it wasn't hard to put the deal together, but we didn't really know how to present it from a financing standpoint, um, you know, for the bank and for the investors, because like all of our investments, our, our investors take on no debt. So typically if you and I go buy a property together, most likely we're both signing on the debt and we're both signing in Salido, which means if we go borrow a million dollars to buy a building and um, I file bankruptcy, you owe the full million dollars, not half. You owe the full. And same thing with you. If something happens to you, you can't satisfy, I owe the full million dollars. And on our balance sheets, technically, we have to put a million dollars or we're supposed to put a million dollars as a liability, even though we own half of the property. So, um, so that was the direction that we wanted to go. We kind of went with, with, um, uh, so anyway, we, long story on that, but we ended up getting, uh, we ended up getting that put together, uh, kind of last minute we got it done. Um, and then we moved on to the next one. We had a, a, a that was the property in Jackson, Mississippi. I was telling you about, uh, we just started, we started building steam. We started figuring it out, you know, because it really, that, that was a different mindset. That was a different mindset of we're we're taking on the debt, you know. So, so, JRE private equity, y'all take on the debt, or the you said that investors don't take on any debt. Yeah. So what is that? What do you what did you mean by that? So they're not they don't take on any liability to the bank. Um, so so Donnie and myself, like we're, we're the ones that are signing the note. JRE private equity is the one that signs the note. Um, typically, we try to get non recourse financing where we can. Because once a deal, you know, gets big enough, um, you know, you have people that are like, well, it, it, I, I don't know. It, the, the bigger the deals get, the the more likely you are to get non-recourse financing. So and that's the direction that we typically try to go. What What is the difference for those listening between non-recourse and recourse financing? So if you um, if you default, I mean, if, if let's just say three of your tenants file bankruptcy and totally beyond your control. Um, and it's a situation where um, you can't satisfy your loan payment. Um, if you have a $10 million loan, they're coming after you personally for $10 million if you have a, a loan with a traditional bank. Um, in a non-recourse situation, they do a very, very, very heavy due diligence on the front end. Like it costs, I mean, we spent, well, I'm not going to tell you because it's embarrassing. A lot of money. We spent a <laughs> lot of money on the lender's legal. So that wasn't even our legal. We had our legal, our attorneys that we paid. We also had to pay the lender's attorney to watch over the whole process to make sure that it protected them appropriately. So, like, you spend 
an inordinately large amount of money on due diligence, but they're also giving it to you non-recourse. And so, you know, they, they're looking more at the property. That's really the difference. A bank, and I mean, and Cause they're going to take the property if you default. Yeah. I mean, there may be some bankers that disagree with me and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not entirely right here, but generally speaking, a bank is I'm not saying they're not concerned about the property, but they're more concerned about whose signature is on the note. Yeah. Than they are about the property itself. These guys aren't necessarily concerned about the signature. They are interested in the property. If we have to take this property back, is it a good property? Can we do something with it? Whereas a traditional bank is more thinking, if something goes wrong here, can that person pay me back? So that's that's really the difference between non-recourse and recourse financing. Gotcha. So to get involved with JRE, you got to have that um, credit investor status. Are you able, with the way y'all set it up, have people roll like their IRAs and stuff into that, or does it have to be cash out of their pocket to invest? So it can be done. Uh, I, I I know that it can be done. That's again one of those one of those things. Consult your financial advisor. Not, <laughs> yes, talk to your financial advisor. Um, I I do think that we have, I think we have two investors who have invested uh, in in an IRA. Um, and, and, it, and it just, it just funds the distributions go straight into the IRA. Yeah. Okay. And well, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but I just know it works the way it works. It works the way it works. Um, that's one of those things that I, I always tell people that it can be done, but I don't really give advice on that because yeah. that's, you know, I don't ever want to get in a position where I, I give somebody bad advice because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA. I'm, I am none of those things. So is, is there like a, a minimum investment required to be involved with GRE? So our investments are, are usually, uh, we take whatever amount that we need to come up with. So to use round numbers, let's say we're buying a property for $10 million and we get a 70% loan to value um, on the debt. So that means that $7 million is going to come from a lender of some sort, a bank or a CMBS or uh, some type of debt. And then $3 million is the equity that we've got to come up with. So we'll take that $3 million and we'll break it up into um, $25,000 increments. I'm not going to do math off the top of my head. And it's 25000 is the minimum investment. 25000 is typically the minimum investment. There are times where we might up that to 50 or 100, but as of right now, it's 25, yeah. Gotcha. And so it's each individual investment is like a separate entity of sorts. Each individual investment is a separate entity, yes. Okay, so they're getting... Because like whenever you were talking about the REITs versus what y'all do differently is that you actually are purchasing ownership in the company that owns the property. Yes. You're not just buying into that, a group right. of investors that are buying multiple properties. And, it's, and there are pluses and minuses to both. I mean, yes. the, the, the pluses to investing in a REIT or a fund. I mean, there are also pro, what they call funds, you know, private funds um, that, that aren't necessarily a REIT. And I, I can't get into the intricacies of the differences, but... Um, you know, a lot of these funds, um, you make one investment and you have an investment in, you know, 10 or 15 or, tw or 20 different properties. So you have diversification, not only into real estate, but also across real estate. The downside to that is you don't know what you're investing in. Yeah. Because you don't have a sheet that says, here are the 25 properties that we're going to buy. Um, again, it's that trust me thing. And I'm not saying that, that there isn't a trust factor there with most of the people who do this, but it's just different. It's just different. To, whereas our, our investments, I mean, we've got a 40 page offering memorandum. Um, I've seen offering memorandums from most of the groups out there that do what we do. I mean, I think that ours are as detailed or more than anyone. And the idea is that the idea is that, look, I, I, we, we want, we want to perform on our properties the same as our investors want the properties to perform. We don't want unhappy investors. So, I mean, it is in our best interest to make conservative assumptions. We would far rather say we're going to give you a 12% return and it actually be 14, you know, than the opposite. And so um, what we do is my goal with an offering memorandum is to as clearly and articulately as I can spell out every assumption that has to be made in order to get to the, to the um, return that we're projecting. And the thing is, most of it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's math. Most of it is what it is. There are really only about six or seven, you know, 
foreseeable assumptions that have to be made. You know, what's your market? What's your stabilized vacancy going to be? Uh, you know, meaning like you don't know when tenants are going to leave and, and fill back up. So what you say is we're just going to say 4% across the board, you know, as that's going to be our vacancy factor. So maybe it's, uh, you know, 12% one year, but then 100% for three years, you know. So, so we project out a stabilized vacancy. You know, we say things like, you know, these are the expenses that we project. Hey, they can go up and they can go down, but here's what they are. Here's the assumptions. So if I can, if I can clearly articulate the assumptions for a property, well, then it, it, as long as those take place, you know, so our investors really only have to look at a couple of assumptions. And if those, um, if those assumptions actually take place, then the numbers are what they are. You know, what are you going to sell it for? Well, yeah. here's what we think the NOI is, the net operating income is going to be in year 10. And here's the cap rate we think we're going to sell it on. I mean, those are two assumptions, and that's why we came up with that number. Yeah, I mean, it's at the end of the day, math is math. The numbers are what they are. Exactly. It's a matter of making sure you do your part to ensure the numbers meet or exceed what you anticipate they do. Right. So I'm, I'm excited to see this happening in Baton Rouge. I'm excited to continue, continuously see properties being closed and an opportunity like this for local people to get involved if they meet the certain parameters and they consult with their professional advisors. Um, I mean, I'm excited to see that it's happening here and y'all aren't, like you said, y'all aren't going to the big cities and pulling in money from there just to quickly close on a property. You're taking the time to find those investors that are, have ties to the community, have ties to the properties you are looking at and want to see that impact made within their area. It's yeah. exciting to see. So as we kind of start to wrap up the show, we have a set list of hard-hitting questions we like to ask each guest. Oh, Lord. They're very hard-hitting. I'm scared. So, for the first one, brace yourself. Okay. What is something you did as a kid you wished you could still do today? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something I did as a kid that I wish that I could still do today. Um, oh, man. That is a tough You should have prepared me before you said that. Uh, <laughs> like I, I said, they're hard-hitting questions, man. I could probably think of something good if I had the time. Uh, time is now. Let's see. What did I do when I was a kid? Uh, I could probably run a lot farther than I could <laughs> than I can now. <laughs> Surprise. I, wish I, I wish I could go to the gym and do what I used to could do. <laughs> You're not the first person to give yeah. that response. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, being active, right? Yeah. Being able to run up and down and then at the end of the day, go to sleep, wake up the next morning and feel like a million bucks. I actually just, and, I actually just started lifting weights and working out for the first time in, in let's just say, several years. And uh, it's look, it's been great. I'm really happy that I started, but like I, I've definitely been feeling my age. Look, I, I definitely understand. I had to take last week off, and I'm back in the gym this week, and it is it's brutal. <laughs> like yeah. I'm walk do leg day on Monday, and you're walking around the office, and you like stand up, and you feel that pain, and it reminds you you're not as long, young as you once were. Exactly. So you've been doing real estate, you've done restaurants, now you're doing private equity. You've been around the business scene, the entrepreneurial scene for quite some time. What are three lessons you've learned along the way? Three lessons that I've learned along the way. Um, do your research. Yes. Um, I mean, that's, that's a really good one. Um, you know, so prior to, prior to getting in, um, you know, I did not do my research. <laughs> well, I mean, I did on like certain aspects of, of the restaurant, like more so on the cure. Like my fixation was on the cured meat side in the restaurant. And that was really, I did a ton of research and a ton of research uh, of uh, testing when it came to that. Um, I didn't really do my research on the, on the business and on the, the enterprise. Uh, I wish I would have maybe done more of that. Um, but uh, I, I did for, for JRE. Uh, I actually went and I, I met with uh, a, a couple of different groups. It was a group out of Birmingham. I went and rode up there and shadowed them for a day. And, and I, I attended a few classes that, that talked about um, how to legally do this syndication because, you know, as we explained earlier, SEC, you don't mess with the SEC. No. Um, well, you could try. Yeah. But uh, I, I will say do your homework and be prepared, especially if you're going to jump off and, 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 and do something, um, a, a venture of your own. Yeah, make sure you're knowledgeable enough in the field you want to go down. Yeah, I would say um, 
I don't mean this to be pessimistic or optimistic, but you realistic. know, well, I would say realistic. Um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day who told me that he was thinking about branching out and starting his own business. And, uh, yeah, I just reminded him. And uh, again, I hope I'm not being a Debbie Downer here, but I said, you know, just remember that the, the grass, it might be lush and thick on the other side of that fence, but it also might not be greener than it is right now. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, look, I, 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 I'll just say, you just have to be realistic with your assumptions. And, and that, that's what I meant by saying that is it, it, some people get fixated and they think, well, if I just had my own business, then everything would be great and grand. That's not always the case, <laughs> you know? It, it has its benefits, but it also has its downsides. It does. And it does. And I don't want to under, I don't want to <laughs> undercut the benefits because right. I, look, I'm all about entrepreneurship. I mean, we're sitting here at the, uh, at the business, the, um, Louisiana technology, Park, technology, the focus podcast. Yeah. Studio. I mean, you walk around here and you see some really great ideas that have, that have, you know, culminated right here in Baton Rouge. Um, uh, so, but just, just keep a, just keep a realistic mindset. Yeah. Know? There's the rarity of a unicorn happening where you're an overnight success always is like 10 years in the making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Something I love about Baton Rouge. Um, I mean, look, my, my my friends and family are here. Um, I, I I I do love I I love the food scene here. Um, I hope I hope so. And, you invested and, in it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I I did, and you know, and I'm, I remember you know having to explain to people what charcuterie meant because um, nobody knew, and it's on pretty much every menu in town now. Somebody's got a charcuterie board. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that Baton Rouge has really evolved from that standpoint over the last, you know, seven or eight years. Um, you know, I think um, I, w- I would like to think I had a little bit to do with that. You know, my, my partners, uh, my, my former partners, uh, Chase and Steven, I mean, they've both got, you know, an, an excellent portfolio of restaurants in this town. Um, I'd say, you know, kudos to them. And uh, there's just there's a lot. um there's a lot to love here. Um, I, I like the I like the, the festivals that we have around South Louisiana. I love the hunting and fishing. I mean, that's not necessarily Baton Rouge, but you know, I grew up in Monroe. Um, yep. I grew up up north. Still got a hunting camp up there. Northerner. Spent a lot of time up there. Um, I mean, I, I love Louisiana, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Yeah, it's got a unique, not only ecosystem and you know weather situation happening, but also a great <laughs> yeah. unique culinary scene, great people in the area that all just have this sense of passion about making what they do each and every day just one step better. Mm-hmm. So for the final question, Trey, what can I do to help you? Hey, you want to invest? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> no, look, I, look, here's the thing, man. I, I'm just trying, I just want people to be aware of what I do and what we do. Because when you say I'm a CPA, People know that you do taxes. And when you say, I'm, you know, an attorney, maybe there's different flavors of attorneys, but generally you give people legal advice. People know these things. When you say, I have a private equity company, people are like, what, what is the that? heck is that? Like they, they either think, you know, that you're like, like I say, some shark who, who's trying to like take advantage of, uh, you know, failing businesses and screw people. Anyway, it's, it's not any of that. I, I, I told you what it means. All I need is two or three minutes with with individuals to to sort of explain to them what we do, and I don't want to be pushy. Like I'm not I'm not trying to push what we do on anyone. If somebody hears what we do and they say, "Hey, that's not for me," man, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm not going to call you again. But most people don't know, and so I'm just trying to get in front of people and say, "Look, what 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 is what do you what does your investment portfolio look like? Do you have real estate in there?" Do you think you do with the REIT? No, but seriously, I mean, do you have it in there? Because I'm not telling you to put all your money with us, but, you know, if, if you've got, you know, a, a portfolio of a million dollars, like you should probably have some of that in real estate. And um, I think that what we do is I think that we provide, are there, are there other groups that provide higher returns than us? Absolutely. 
but the key is is a risk adjusted return you know so you look at what we do and our last three um our last three uh, offering memorandums projected 11 to 12 percent overall internal rates of return um i have seen some far 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 riskier deals far riskier deals that are at 15 16 I mean, for, for my money, I'd, I'd rather just stick with the, the 12 and not take a whole lot of risk. Yeah, so. whatever your risk appetite is. Yeah. So, well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Um, we're going to make sure that we link your website and the available social pages in the show notes as well as in the so- social postings. We're going to make sure people are easily able to access you. And what is, if they are interested and meet the requirements and parameters, what is a good way for them to get involved? Um call me. I'm serious. I mean, I'll give you my cell phone number. I mean, it's 318. Hey, I'm loyal, loyal to, loyal to my homeland. I got, still got a 318 number. My cell phone is is 318-355-7366. My email is very simple. Trey at G O J R E.com. You know, three letter domains are really expensive. We wanted to get JRE.com, but you can't find a three-letter domain. So we just had to add go to the to the front of it. There, so there it's Trey go. at GoJRE.com. Just contact me directly. I'll, I'll take you to lunch, take you to have coffee, you know, whatever. Um, let, let's just explore it. And um, if it's not for you, it's not for you, but just give me the opportunity to tell you. Well, excellent, man. I know that it's exciting what y'all are doing, and each and every offer memorandum y'all have is just getting better and better as y'all continually grow the portfolio and you've got that history and that track record <clears throat> to prove you know what you know and you know how to make a good deal. So thank you so much for coming on this show. I appreciate your time. And I thank everybody else, whether you're listening to this or you're watching this, whatever platform you're consuming it, I really appreciate it. I know the guests do as well. You're interested in JRE Private Equity, Jay put the cell phone number out. Give him a call. Give him an email. Let him know that you're interested, and they're going to make sure they get you involved in whatever way that they can. And I also want to give a big thank you to our wonderful sponsors that make this show possible each and every week, and a little bit more information is coming to you right now about them. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Sell your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you so very much to Mallard Bay Outdoors, the Airbnb for the outdoor sportsmen. If you're looking to book a hunt or a fishing trip, this is the platform to use. They are a past guest of the Patty G Show. We got to learn all about what they're doing from the ground up. They are really revolutionizing the booking process for hunts and fish all across the country for your next hunting or fishing experience or maybe your corporate retreat you're looking for something to do for your employees book a hunt or a fishing trip with mallard bay outdoors and they will take care of you every step of the way from organizing it with the guides and the captains to making sure you can take care of them at the end of the trip mallard bay outdoors a proud sponsor of the patty g show At Horizon Financial Group, we enjoy helping others achieve greater confidence, clarity, and direction in their lives. We realize everyone's path to financial success is unique. Sometimes you just need a friendly guide along the way. Whether it's customized financial planning, individual wealth management, or servicing your company's retirement plan, we've got the team with the experience to help you reach your goals. Horizon Financial Group, helping you provide, protect, and prosper for those counting on you. Visit us at horizonfg.com. Satera Advisors, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Satera is a separate entity. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you are looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology, 
They are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Yeah.